Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Roy Mutooni from APSA Asset Management and Ricketts Readers from PSG Wealth Ramsach. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. Let's start off with the Fed. Um, of course, the Americans are not uh, watching us today as they are on Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, but it's fine. South Africans still want to hear your sentiment on the Fed. So they came out with those minutes uh, from the November meeting where they implemented their fourth 75 basis point interest rate hike. Roy, I want to start with you. There seems to be this um, broad messaging that the Fed really is going to start moderating. Should we see that as the Fed still hawkish or of, of more of a, a pause? Look, it's, it's, it's a very interesting um, question that you ask because the way I see what the market is looking at, what a lot of commentators are saying is that they are pausing. But in truth, they are hiking at smaller increments. But that's because they've hiked a hell of a lot mm. already. Um, I think the bottom line here is that at some stage next year, their interest rates are going to be somewhere just under 5%. A year ago, they were less than one. So it's been an aggressive rate hiking cycle. They haven't paused. Maybe they go up by small increments because the effect of monetary policy is cumulative. So you want to see the impact on the economy. But make no mistake, those interest rates are going to be much higher than we've known in the last 10 years. And they're probably going to stay there for a reasonable length of time for the full impact to be felt. I think the, the expectation that they will hike slower and then suddenly start cutting is, I think that's incredibly optimistic. Hmm. Uh, and it would take some significant event happening to reverse their, to reverse their current thinking. Rikas, do you think that the markets are getting ahead of themselves thinking that this is a pause rather than the Fed is still hawkish, but maybe less hawkish and maybe they'll they'll realize and they and they'll go into a panic when they realize what the cumulative effect of this is if they're going to panic that's something else but let's assume that they're not going to panic yeah the minutes um were basically a trade-off um there were members that said well they can foresee the pace of um, rate hikes slowing but the trade-off is that they also foresee that their target of, let's say, about 5% might be too low. In other words, it might actually go higher than that. And, and uh, yeah, and, and that goes into the conversation of it's probably going to be higher for longer. And they will, you know, the Fed only pivots when they start reducing interest rates. And, and, and as we said, you know, it, that's not going to happen soon. So being overly optimistic right now in what is essentially a thin market globally as people head into November, December is possibly a little bit too optimistic. Yeah. So maybe this is a moderation rather than a pivot, right, Rikas? Possibly. But as I've said, the trade-off yeah. is it's going to go higher than people expect. Yeah. So where, the, where does that leave you? Precisely where you were before the minutes were released. Yeah. 
Lisita Khanyaho also said higher for longer. Uh, today, uh, coming out with a third 75 basis point hike, now bringing the repo rate to seven. That's actually above what it was in January 2020 before the COVID-19 pandemic uh, came to South African shores. Um, Roy, what did you think of that move? I know um, before that CPI print yesterday, markets had expected 50 basis points, but those increased to 75 basis points and some were even um, forecasting a 100 basis point hike. So, so, so the, the thing is, there's, there's two parts. Um, actually, no, there's, yes, there's two parts. So first of all, he's got to be cognizant of what the Fed is doing because that will manage the exchange rate exposure. Mm. But the other is about inflation expectations here and, this, and the risk of second-round effects. We've already started hearing about the clamor for wages and all of that. So the, the MPC is very cognizant that you cannot let this take, take a hold. Um, and, and they've always been of the view that they went incredibly aggressively at the time of COVID in order to provide liquidity into the market. And, and, and that's got to be taken away now. Um, and, and inflation, and inflation has to be brought back into control. Just like in the US, you're so far away from the ban that you, you have to keep acting. Even if data tells you that no, it's slowing, you have to keep acting because at the end of the day, you want that inflation to be some, inflation expectations especially, not to be getting worse. So 75 basis points is probably appropriate. Um, when you look at the inflation print that we saw, I think it was yesterday, mm. um, it was broad-based. Um, you, you know, here we had, the, we had the advantage that goods inflation had moderated and, 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 um, and, and services inflation wasn't so aggressive. Yeah. But this was broad-based. It was all, all over. And he's only got one tool. That tool is interest rate. So for so long as this happens, you should expect to see him um, hiking. Now yeah. it may be data-driven um, or dependent on what the Fed does, but I don't think we're done. Uh, um, Rikas, um, of course, the uh, Reserve Bank has also keep the, the RAND attractive relative to the dollar, and we have seen that uh, positive risk sentiment filtering through to that. The RAND now at around 17 RAND, 2 cents against the US dollar. Do you think that, that RAND strength, or rather dollar weakness, still has more legs to go? Yeah, I think it's more dollar weakness than RAND strength. If you compare us to the pound or the euro, for example, we've strengthened, but not to the degree mm. that um, that's, that's happened with the um, US dollar. So um, for most of this year, the, the dollar has been um, the only game in town, basically. Um, so there is a reverting to mean, I would say, happening with the dollar. So we could sit with um, a fairly stable, if not um, um, firmer rand going forward. So um, just, you know, without taking anything else into account, whether it be the global economy or growth rates or recessions or whatever, the dollar really, I think, overshot the market a little bit. And it's just, as I've said, yeah. um, reverting to some kind of mean. All right. Pretty interesting question coming through. Is this a good time for an investor to enter the market? Um, <laughs> Roy? I mean, the markets have d come down quite a lot. And here investors are really trying to find the bottom. Um, and valuations have also come down a lot. So do you think that this has provided an opportunity for investors to come in at uh, good price points? For, for a new investor, the best time to come in is now. Mm. Literally, um, if, if the perspective is one of saving and growing your wealth, 
and, and trying to offset the infect, effects of inflation, by all means come into the market. Um, in, new investors don't have to necessarily pick individual stocks, which is where the big risk is. They can go into ETFs or other um, or unit trusts or, or similar types of vehicles that allows them to save over a period of time. So that means they can actually save when markets are expensive, when they're cheap, when they're volatile, when they're not so volatile, and accumulate wealth in that way. So I would, I would encourage anyone who, the minute you find some surplus funds, however much, however little, just put it aside. You'll yeah. never lose. Yeah. Um, Rikas, do you think that someone who is coming into the market now as a new investor, do they need to kind of keep a long-term view? Because especially, for example, looking at the JSC, the consumer is under strain, um, inflation is up, um, margins are quite squeezed, uh, interest rates are really squeezing consumers. So you kind of get the feeling that you're not really, from a lot of companies, going to get big returns right now. So does an investor need to keep cognizant of that and, and actually just go into it with a long-term view that those big returns will come at some point, just maybe not now. Yeah, I think I think you've touched on both points: what's your expected return and what's your investment horizon. And if it's a new investor, then obviously it's a longer investment horizon. But to get back to Roy's point, I think one should always be in the market. But the way I, I certainly manage for my clients, for myself, is I don't try and time the market. What I do is manage my exposure to the market, which means that in for all the factors you've, you've mentioned, consumer being under pressure, high inflation, that kind of thing, it doesn't have to be 100% in, into, the, into the market. You're still getting pretty good interest rates if you, um, you know, market-related yeah. interest rate elsewhere. But don't hesitate just because you are afraid. Um, buy into, if I can use the old thing again, buy into the sleeping value, or, you know, something that makes you comfortable that you don't lose sleep over, whether it be 20%, 30%, depends on your, on, on what you are comfortable with. Um, this is not the easiest of markets, but that shouldn't stop you from um, entering into the market. Just limit your exposure according to what kind of risk you are prepared to take personally. Uh, all right. Well, there's a question here on NASPERS. Should I sell NASPERS now, given profit warnings for a long-term play? I don't know, because I kind of get the feeling that um, NASPERS is trying to really tell the market that the worst might be over. Roy? So, so the, whole, the whole story in NASPERS is one of Tencent and then the multitude of discounts yeah. and the buyback around that. So, so what management is saying now is that um, their biggest priority is to execute on this buyback to close the discounts and also to bring profitability to the core. And they have this perspective that they've bottomed out. Now, who knows? Um, who knows what, what the macro is? Who knows whether it's bottomed out or not? But in truth, um, if you like the China story, if you believe that Tencent, like all of these technology businesses, um, is currently cheap and has a bright future, then then it's well worthwhile um, to, to get in with these discounts, particularly if you have the confidence that the discounts will be closed. You should ignore the profit warnings and all of that. Those are just technical things, and those are around the assets that are pre-profit that management is saying we're going to turn around um, in, the, in, in the medium term. Make the call on Tencent make the, and understand that these discounts are being handled by 
the buyback and then have a medium to longer term view on this. Yeah. Rick, it's just um, uh, before we go to break uh, on NASPERS, how much of a consideration should those other businesses have on, on, on your decision on NASPERS? Of course, Tencent is still the core, although they did say that that contribution was less uh, this time around. But they're also saying that they're beginning to see some green shoots um, on those other businesses that uh, posted wider trading losses yesterday. OK, I'm going to try and keep this short and simple. Yeah. For the short term, if you are sitting with NASPERS, the technical picture looks great. They are, you know, it's uh, it's going up. I wouldn't sell right now. Long term, while NASPERS remains invested in Tencent, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Um, <laughs> Tencent is, no, any Chinese company is under the direct control of Ping. Yeah. He can change his mind at any time. He's a complete dictator as far as China is concerned. He doesn't worry about investors. Yeah. Um, this thing about normalizing and maybe forget about it. He can make up his mind. He's got total control over what happens with any company that a foreigner is invested in, and he doesn't care. Mm. Um, what remains of Tencent's other businesses, I'm not convinced that that's the best tech sector to be in. So for the moment, stay with the price momentum. But um, if that price starts showing weakness or something happens, and you don't know when it's going to happen as far as the Chinese government, and the government is Xi Jinping is concerned, yeah. um, you've got to be very aware of that risk. Let's get to more questions. Uh, there's a question on uh, Richmond. Please ask the view of the panel for Richmond as a medium-term buy. Is there a positive outlook for the next couple of years? Is it a buy at the current price? Um, I get the feeling that uh, there's quite a bullish outlook on Richemont. Um, they did have that wobble earlier on this year when they warned of the demand from China because of the COVID-19 restrictions. But of course, there's this hope that things may be uh, winding down on that front, um, looking at the sh maybe medium term, short to medium term. Uh, Roy, Richemont? So, so it's an interesting story. Even when they had the wobble, it was more about... I think the market expected the margins to be wider, but in reality what they did was instead of expanding margins in that market, they invested in marketing and protecting the client, which which is so counterintuitive, but it's the right thing to do. And I think the markets rewarded them. Um, so in the more recent results, you saw fantastic numbers out of Europe, out of the US, out of the jewelry business, out of the watch business. And remember, they've taken out the online business now, so um, which was quite loss-making. So that's made the numbers look a lot, a whole lot better. I think if China opens up, that's another source of upside for them. But what they're seeing is that a lot of people, after that long lockdown, are more than happy to buy jewelry, luxury jewelry, um, and the specialist watchmakers, which is their their watch their watch business, is now actually profitable and growing. So, so they're actually in a very good wicket right now. Um, it would take a lot of negativity globally uh, or a significant downturn to reduce that. They're going into quite high basis, but I think over the medium term, this is a stock that should do reasonably well. It's not particularly expensive right now. I think relative to LVMH and the others, it is actually fair to cheap. So, no, it's one. This is one of those stocks that has a solid balance sheet, wide margins good control on its costs, and a market that just doesn't seem to be bothered by recessionary conditions. So not necessarily a good place to hide, but probably a good place to have over the medium term, medium ah. to longer term. And the price, do you think the price is right? Currently sitting at um, 204, 205? 
So, so it went up from about 165, around <laughs> the results it got to about 215, give or take. So it's, it's come off its highs. So this is this is a reasonable price. It's a fairish price, I would say. I wouldn't I wouldn't be too afraid of going in, but yeah, yeah, I would say it's a fairish price. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Uh, there's a question here on Altron. Thanks to a recommendation on Stockwatch, and I think this was actually from Rikas. Uh, thanks to a recommendation on Stockwatch, I bought Altron at 822 cents, and I'm up 22% after about two months. Shares are up on big volume turnover of shares and the new CEO buying a lot of shares on the open market over the last two weeks. Big question. Should I sell or see what is brewing? Rikas. Uh, <clears throat> to me, those three things you mentioned are all three positive factors. I like a share price that goes up on volume. I like if there's insider trading. In other words, when somebody in the company on the open market acquires shares and just because a price is up doesn't mean uh, you know we've made x percent that that all of a sudden you've got to start selling unless you're all of a sudden sitting with a huge overweight um, in a specific counter and it makes you uncomfortable which comes back to what i've said you know um, your exposure should be what you're comfortable with but as far as the company itself is concerned nothing has changed over the past two months three months since, since the results came out so positive momentum, positive volume, mm. and as I said, um, insider buying, all points to um, uh, the wins in the sale as far as the price performance is concerned. Uh, so if you're selling, I mean, should the motivation behind it be that you just want to make a little bit of money in the short term? No, um, as I was, because just as you don't know how low something can go, yeah. you don't know how high something can go. So the only, the only um, um, real question is what's your exposure to a specific company and is that too risky for you as the personal investor? In other words, should you take some of that money and diversify into the next Ultron, shall we say? Mm, but right. that's really the only consideration. Uh, okay, let's get to the retailers. Um, and uh, Mr. Price actually came out with results this morning. So, what is the panel's view on Mr. Price uh, after this morning's results? Um, Mr. Price actually did something that it doesn't uh, really do a lot. Uh, investors were disappointed in it, and uh, that was quite a surprise. But of course, looking at those numbers, uh, you sort of see why investors were a little disappointed. Even the management, uh, the CEO, in the commentary said that their top line missed their internal targets. Roy, what do you think of this performance? Because Mr. Price is really just one of those that is considered as well positioned in terms of value in the market. And because most of their sales come from cash, then they're, they're in a good position. But I, I feel like that just wasn't the case this time. Roy? So, so I think there's, there's a couple of ways you can look at this. Um, during a time when you have such a constrained consumer, the, the, it's the natural instinct is to imagine they all trade down, away from the credit retailers because um, credit is harder to come by. So what you want is cheaper stuff that you can buy with cash. But I think what's also happened is the players in that market have increased. It's not just Mr. Price, Pep, Ackerman, the Sheen, and a whole raft of other people there. So it's actually possible and probable that that, that world has become a lot more competitive um, and, and there's a lot more value for the consumer's bank that 
before would have naturally gone to Mr. Price. And that maybe is what they're trying to adjust themselves to. So I, th I think the result may have been a little bit softer than people expected. But the overarching thing is your consumer, on, from a discretionary perspective, is probably spending less, um, has more options to spend that, that, lower, that, that lower income that they have. Um, and probably the universe that was occupied by two or three players probably now has four or five players. Um, and it's price competition, it's variety, but your costs are still rising. You still have to invest as you did before. So that, that's what I think has hit the perception around all of these clothing retailers, and in particular, these cash retailers who were supposed to be the place where people hide. Listen, Roy, um, as you're talking about Shein, I'm waiting for that SMS to go off so I can clear my <laughs> Shein card. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> um, Rick is just on your side. I mean, do you think that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's valid for markets to be nervous right now of the numbers that we're seeing out of Mr. Price? Or do you maybe think this is a kind of normalization of earnings that actually fit into the proper context of the South African economy right now? Well, everything that Roy said, and if I may add to that, um, it's a difference between a well-run company and its share price. I mean, in the results itself, I mean, there's only one way, can, or three ways a company can increase its income. It's either on turnover growth, it's either on margin expansion, or it's or it's basically debtors and, and, and creditors days and um, stock levels. Their uh, turnover was up, but their margins were up. That's a great, great, great result. Um, obviously, they're sitting with quite a bit of stock. Hopefully, they'll be able to get rid of it over the over the over the season. But in essence, it's a well-run company, and you can see it in the numbers. But the price, and that's the problem. And Roy alluded to it. There's a lot of competition going forward. They'll probably be the best of the lot. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, the lot is not sector at the moment and I think offers a lot of value considering where the consumer is as far as cash spend is concerned. I'm not talking about um, the debt spending which one can see in the Lewis results for example but for a cash company like um, like Mr. Price it's going to be a bit of a problem over the next six you know 12 months uh, I think. All right. Do you think Lewis is in a better p uh, position because they actually um, reported quite upbeat results boosted by those credit sales, um, the cash-based businesses, UFO, actually struggling? Roy? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that UFO business is more... This is the interesting thing about Lewis is that they see a bigger struggle among the higher-income consumer who buys from, 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 from that, that UFO business. The, mm. the, the lower end is a long-lived consumer who has, as part of their budget, a continuous monthly purchase of furniture. Oh. Um, and when you finish paying for one bit, you'll get another one and keep going. They have a very loyal uptake. They don't see the need to stress their credit, their, their, their credit um, limits and all of that. They just have this following that keeps going. So it's never going to be one that grows, I don't know, 40 50%. But it just keeps growing. They have a very loyal following. Who, who allocates a specific proportion of their income towards beautifying their homes and upgrading their stuff. So, I mean, for, okay, to call a credit furniture retailer 
um, a defensive play is a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> these guys have learned the game. Yeah. They, they, they've learned yeah. the game and they execute incredibly well. Yeah, they definitely know their way around that debt-based space. All right, gentlemen, let's get to your stock picks. Rick, so what will it be today? Gosh, I must just get this name right because it's such a, <laughs> it's such a long one. I've had it before. It's the iPath Bloomberg Commodity Exchange Traded Note listed in New York. Okay. Um, very briefly, if we are going into a recession, stagflation type of situation, commodities normally do well. Commodity funds, if you buy them, are heavily weighted in energy and mining. Um, with, the, with this um, fund that I'm talking about, it's an equal weight fund. They are in the 13 sectors that, that basically make up that whole commodity universe. So if I'm correct in that we are sitting with recessionary, stagflationary circumstances where real stuff actually keep their value, then I think this is a fairly safe, if not necessarily extremely profitable place to park your money while we are working through high interest rates and and all you know and all the global troubles that we are sitting with. Yeah, all right. Roy, where are you parking your money today? Yeah, I, I, I like Bitcoin. Bitcoin, and it reminds me very much of Richmond, except that it's in food. So they're a food services distributor, which means they don't sell to the consumer, they sell to the food service industry. So hotels, restaurants, caterers, and that sort of thing. They've got a big global footprint. Um, they've got very little debt. And, and they've actually done incredibly well as global economies have started reopening. And even as inflation has risen, they've managed to keep the gross margins relatively high. Now, when we go into the cycle into next year and commodity prices are coming down, it's people like these who actually benefit, particularly if, if we don't go too deep into a recession, um, the economies start reopening and people, people continue eating out. So it's almost a play on um, eating out relative to at-home at home cooking. It doesn't look particularly expensive to me, and, but most of all, at these, these valuations, it's an a good place to hide it's a it's, it's it's a place that will give you comfort when you sleep at night yeah all right well thank you very much gentlemen for your time and for your insights today my guest roy mutoni from absa asset management and ricketts readers from psg wealth ramsach do join me again tomorrow for the friday edition of Stockwatch. the show is live at 1 p.m but do send questions just before that have a good evening <laughs>